Okay, we're right back at it. Welcome back to lesson seven of our Bible study, verse by verse of the Gospel of John. And I hope that you guys are following along with us. I hope that if not, if this is your your first episode you're listening to, go back, listen to Enter to Bible Study, listen to lessons one through six. You can catch up with us. We are having a good time. We're having a good old time. So we have been learning about John the Baptist because we are in John 1 and we are in verses 6 plus, that little area that starts talking about John the Baptist there. But to get a better understanding of John the Baptist, we are spending some time in some other passages because we knew he came with purpose. We know that his coming was prophesied. We saw that in Isaiah 40 verse 3. We know that other gospels reference him being an adult, just like John does. Um, The gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark come in right as he's an adult in his ministry. And so we've been spending time in Luke because we're trying to find out, okay, his birth was also miraculous. Let's study the birth of John the Baptist and what the events were leading up to this, because there was intentionality regarding this. We know that God prophesied he would come and he was to come to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And so there's great symbolism here. So we have been in Luke, we've been in Luke one, and we've been reading down through the angel appearing to Zechariah in the temple and him telling him that they would be, that their prayers were answered. I'm sure much later than when they originally prayed for a child. And he's saying, you're going to have a baby and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his infancy from while in the womb even. And so we were reading some other passages that talk about that, um, like in Jeremiah 1, about the idea of God knowing someone before he formed them in the womb and he had a specific role for them to play, which is so cool. And so he says here, let's keep going. Let's go back to the beginning of what the angel says to Zechariah. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You will call his name John, and you will experience joy and exaltation, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he must never drink wine or strong drink or beer, as my interpretation says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're contrasting this idea about being um, filled with drink, something that could influence you, versus being filled with the Holy Spirit to influence you. We see this contrast in other passages in Scripture that deal with like, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so this is not an unfamiliar idea. Essentially, John the Baptist would have had to really work hard to avoid any kind of alcohol in his beverages, which would have been difficult at that time period, because from what we know of that culture, a very weak wine was often mixed with water to enable them to drink water. And it had like an antibacterial property to it. So it was safer to drink the water. And so um, it was safer to drink wine, obviously, than like contaminated water in that time period. So there definitely would have been intentionality regarding him not participating in that and staying away from any kind of drink or strong drink, a more concentrated form of alcoholic beverage. So he is to instead be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is even in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to prepare for the Lord a people made ready. This passage at the end here sounds a lot like the Isaiah 40 passage. Let's just go back there real quick and remind ourselves about that. Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, A voice is calling in the wilderness, 
clear the way of Yahweh, make a highway smooth in the desert for our God. So this passage here, this verse that's pulled out of this passage um, about comfort for God's people, Isaiah 40, and Isaiah, especially in the end here, deals with a lot with the prophecies regarding the Messiah. It deals a lot with what Jesus is coming for. And we get some really powerful passages about the purpose of Jesus coming and that he was, um, he had no former majesty that we should desire him. He was like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a lamb before it shears is dumb. So he opens on his mouth. We have all these passages that are, that are very important messianic passages here at the end of the book of Isaiah referencing the coming of Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice for us. And here in Isaiah 40, we also have a voice calling in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord, make a highway smooth in the desert for our God. So just very interesting, all the prophecy regarding Zechariah and Elizabeth having this child. So if we go back to Luke 1, here at the end of this message, Zechariah doubts the angel and he says, how will I know this is happening? And the angel reminds him who he's talking to. (laughs) He's like, hey, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to announce to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so now let's keep going here into verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and began to wonder when he was delayed in the temple. When he came out, he was not able to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained unable to speak. And it happened that when the days of his service came to an end, he went away to his home. Now after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days in which he has concerned himself with me to take away my disgrace among people. And that just kind of makes a tear up, doesn't it? That Elizabeth had such a heart. We know that they were faithful people. We saw that earlier in the passage where it says that they both love the Lord. They both um, obeyed the commandments. They were faithful to do their duties as before the Lord. And here Elizabeth had been barren. She had not had a child for all these years. And they have prayed for one. And God says, I'm going to answer your prayer. He remembered Elizabeth. He remembered Zachariah. I just think that is such a sweet thing. You know, sometimes God knows it's better for us not to have what we ask for. But in this situation, he was He was going to give them a child. It was just in his timing, right? And And then she is just, you see her heart here. He's concerned himself with me to take away my disgrace among people. The Lord has concerned himself with me. That is just so beautiful. I love the the way that she's talking to herself about this. Like God, God knows me and he is, he's taken trouble for me in this moment. Now we're going to get into the prediction of Jesus' birth, which we're going to spend a lot of time here. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin promised in marriage to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now here it says in the sixth month. And so you're like, well, the sixth month of what, right? So I think we can pretty easily see how verses 24 
through 25 are talking about Elizabeth being pregnant and that she's keeping herself in seclusion for five months. And then now, verse 26, now in the sixth month. So this is referring to Elizabeth's pregnancy. The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God now to a town of Galilee named Nazareth. So again, God is operating within a human timetable very intentionally. He sent Gabriel from his presence to talk to Zechariah. And now it's been six plus months since then. And he's sending him to talk to the Virgin Mary, who is betrothed to Joseph, but they have not actually consummated that relationship yet. And so she is still a virgin. So very interesting, the timeline here, how John the Baptist is slightly preceding Jesus. Um, You can see that he is the forerunner. He's going to prepare the way, as we've been told. So now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin legally promised in marriage to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the name of the virgin was Mary. And he came to her, Gabriel, and said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly perplexed at the statement and was pondering what sort of greeting this might be. I want to put a little side note here. Mary is not afraid. Now Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, and he is very afraid, right? So much so that the angel has to tell him not to fear. And then he almost has to like strike fear into him again when he's doubting what he's telling him, right? But Gabriel shows up in front of Mary and he is appearing to her in such a way that she is not afraid. She's just perplexed. And that is just, again, I think the sweetness of God here, where here's a young teenage girl who is from a simple, humble town, and she's a very important piece in the puzzle God's creating here for the birth of Christ. And how Gabriel is appearing to her seems to be different from how he appeared to Zechariah, at least from what we can see from her reaction to him. Because if we look at Zechariah's response, if we go back to verse 12, it says Zechariah was terrified when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. And then the angel tells him not to be afraid. But then if we scroll back down to Mary and he tells her, you know, greetings favored one, her reaction to that is to be greatly perplexed and to ponder what sort of greeting this is. So it just seems like there's a difference there in how the angel is appearing to her or in how she's receiving his visit. It's just kind of interesting. So he says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in the womb and will give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. This one will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Now this started off almost sounding the same as John the Baptist and the prophecy regarding his birth, right? Where it's like, hey, she's going to conceive in the womb. She's going to give birth to a son. You'll call his name John. In this case, you'll call his name Jesus. This one will be great. And then it changes drastically, right? Because we're not just talking about another human here. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So very, very different calling, very different ministry, very different purpose. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Like he's, We're not talking about a human here, or at least not just a human. This is someone who is going to have eventually absolute 
power and reign that's going to be given to him by God the Father. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So very, very interesting to see the similarities and then where these things deviate from the two prophecies and the two births. So Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Again, here we see a little bit of a contrast to the way that Zechariah responded. Zechariah doesn't say necessarily the same wording, but it can sound kind of similar where he's like, hey, how is this going to happen? You know, we're both really old, except he says, like, what will be the sign for me regarding this? Like, how will I know that this actually is going to take place? Whereas Mary's almost just trying to figure out what the mechanics of this are going to be. Like, she's like, how can I get pregnant when I'm not? actually in a relationship sexually with a man and I've not had one like she's in the betrothed period she's not actually married and the angel tells her well this isn't going to come from human means this isn't going to come from a man he says the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you and therefore also the one to be born will be called holy the son of god so gabriel's response to her in this i think also shows that mary's not coming from a place of disbelief. She's coming more from trying to kind of figure out what this is going to look like. And Gabriel doesn't respond with, listen, sister, you know, kind of the way he responds to Zachariah. He's very much like, well, this is how it's going to happen. And so again, it's interesting to see the difference here between these two individuals and how they receive this message from Gabriel. Not that like Mary is sinless. We know that she was not sinless. We know that she was a human just like everyone else on this planet, but one who was chosen for a purpose to carry and give birth to the son of God in human form and to be a part of raising him as a young child. And God had a very specific mission for her, but she was human like we all are. There is only one who has been sinless that has lived on this planet, and that is Jesus. And that is why he was able to sacrifice himself for our sins and for Mary's sin, too. And there is um, a prominent religion that believes that Mary is sinless and that the mother of God needs to be really worshipped along with Jesus. Um, there's great prominence given to her in these churches that I believe this, and many will pray to her instead of to Jesus. And you know, from scripture, we see that Mary, just like Zechariah, was just one of the players in this, right? She was a regular person who God chose. She was favored and she was someone that he loved and did this for a purpose in her life. But we could say the same about many other people who were in the stories that we see from God's word. We could say that about people living today. You know, God loves us and he has unique plans for us. And for Mary, it was to get to be the one who carried Jesus in her womb and to give birth to him. How amazing and how incredible. But it also came with its hardship and it's just, you know, difficulties for sure. And we see that in scripture too. So I think it's important for us to make that distinction here because Mary herself, I'm sure, would be very upset if she recognized that people thought she was going to be sinless or if she would see that people were going to be praying to her, you know, she would have been very upset about that because she was a faithful child of God, a faithful servant of the Lord. And so we don't need to give her undue prominence. She is another sister and we can respect and be excited about the work God did in her life without falling into an inappropriate view of her as being more like God because she wasn't. She was a sinner like you and I. So, and she'd be the first to tell you that if she were sitting right here next to me. 
So Mary is very interested in this, obviously. (laughs) She's very um, surprised. And the Holy Spirit coming and being the one that's going to conceive a child in her, I'm sure was something that she had to kind of get her mind wrapped around. Um, But then what I love in verse 38 is Mary says, behold, the Lord's female slave, may it happen to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so, wow, praise God for that. Praise God for that kind of attitude who this is going to be really difficult for her. She's going to face great censure and um, really unkind comments that will follow her through her life that follows Jesus through his ministry. People would assume that she was unfaithful to what God had called her to, to a standard of purity, and that she and Joseph, before they were supposed to come together, had come together, and that was where Jesus came from. You know, there would be a lot that she would face. And here's a teenage girl who is looking at that and all the fears that surround that kind of a thing. And she says, hey, I'm the Lord's female slave. May it happen to me according to your word. And she's ready for whatever God wants to do in her life. And so praise God for that. We have to wrap up our time again, but I hope that you are the Lord's female slave. I hope that you are willing to do whatever he calls you to today with a heart of joy and with peace, trusting that even if it's difficult, he is going to carry you through that and his ways are better than what you could ask for for your own life. And I will see you guys in lesson eight. So love you ladies. Take care.